Have you ever loved someone so much that you would be willing to suffer any loss for them? In Genesis 44, Judah proves his love for his father by being willing to become a slave in the place of Benjamin. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend us. For the Lord is our defense, yes, you defend In the opening five verses, we see that Joseph once again commands that both money and food be given to his brothers. And so the brothers have reason to be joyful as they make their way back to Canaan. However, there's something different here. And Joseph commands also that the silver cup that belongs to him be placed in Benjamin's sack. And of course, many are reading this wondering, why would he do this? Why, why is Joseph so twisted? But what it does is it forms a catalyst for the final test. Will Joseph's brothers once again abandon one of their brothers, walk away, leave him to suffer? Or have they changed? Will they step in? Will they endeavor to protect him? Now in verse 5, there's a reference to divination. And as soon as you read that and you decide for yourself, I'm going to try and figure out what that means, you're going to come across all sorts of ideas plunging into archaeology and what they did in that era, forms of hydromancy and other practices that they engaged in in the ancient world in order to understand the future and see the future and so on. Now, some men read this and they believe Joseph to have practiced divination and they criticize him for it. And rightly so, if he did that, Others will try to sanitize the practice, which of course you can't do because God's word clearly condemns it. The answer may be more simple. If Joseph used the cup to divine, to see the future, but the cup had been stolen, then how did he know that it was stolen? Now, there could be an answer to that, of course, that before it was stolen, he saw into the future and so on and so forth. That, that well, could well be. But again, it, it does beg the question, what actually is going on here? Now, if you look at the original word translated divineth or divination, you'll find it has the idea of searching or looking. And so some translators actually tra look at it that way, that this isn't so much dealing with divination as it is indicating that this was Joseph's special silver cup and it was one he was going to search diligently for. And so really... That's all that's being said. In verse 6 through 13, we have the interaction between Joseph's brothers and Joseph's steward. He catches up with them and he accuses them for having taken the cup. And immediately they begin to plead their innocence and they argue for their own history. In verse 9, you'll note the sincere but rash response of the brothers. That is not unlike what Jacob said when he was hunted down by Laban. Well, with the brothers having stated that the guilty party should die and the rest of them should be taken as slaves, this allows Joseph Stewart to appear merciful. He's going to press in upon the matter that only the guilty one should suffer. And this will function then as a test because when ultimately the cop is found with Benjamin, well, the other brothers just then up sticks and leave, just leave Benjamin to suffer on his own. How will they respond? And of course, the check goes on and ultimately, to everyone's horror, the cup is found in Benjamin's possession. Now, these men aren't foolish. 
obviously, immediately, they're going to be thinking, there's no way Benjamin did this, and we've been framed. But note the response. There's no plea of innocence. There's no outrage. Instead, verse 13, they all rent their clothes. This is significant. If you throw your mind back, whenever Joseph was sold and the brothers came back and told the story to their father, Jacob rent his garment. While all the brothers stood there, with hearts as cold as stone. And so from verse 14 through 34, they all make their way back to Egypt. And Judah stands to the fore and becomes a spokesperson for them all. And he presents several rhetorical questions and then comes to the conclusion of verse 16 that God hath found out the iniquity of thy servants. Now this needs to be compared to Genesis 42, 11, where they call themselves true men. Their tune has changed, and Joseph has been an instrument in the hand of God to utterly break these men and deepen genuine repentance in their hearts. In the face of this acknowledgement, there's just one more test. Joseph must reiterate what the steward had said, that Benjamin must stand to suffer being found guilty of having the cup. What follows is one of the most impassioned pleas ever recorded. Judah again steps up. He retells how they've arrived at this point, and in doing so, he reveals some new details as far as it would be to the ears of Joseph. He speaks of how they believe they have a brother who is dead, referring to Joseph. He tells how his father is, was so reluctant to let Benjamin go, and how he had to let him go by Joseph's request, and yet his life is bound up in the life of this son. And so Judah then appeals to him and says, no, you must take me. I have to stand in place of my brother as a substitute. And so we come to application one. Gospel stewards are commanded to supply the needs of God's people. In verse one, Joseph gives the instruction to his steward to fill the sacks with food without price. And this illustrates for us something of what those who are commanded to preach the gospel are to do. It is the work of pastors to supply the need of God's people out of the storehouse of God's word. But it's no easy work. Pray for your pastor that he might be endued with the Holy Spirit and that he might be equipped for your spiritual nourishment week after week. Two, inferiors must work for the comfort of their superiors. Often we see this in the opposite way where superiors are to work for the comfort of the inferiors, fathers for their children, and so on and so forth. But it is also important that inferiors see their obligation to lift the burden of their superiors. You see this in how Judah cannot bear the thought of seeing the evil, the final plea that he offers here, the evil that will come on his father. He wants to ease the burden. He wants to prevent the hurt and the harm that could come to his father. This is a word to us all, employees, wives, children, church members, citizens. We are all to work to alleviate the burdens of those in authority. And yet how often we selfishly expect them to do everything for us and we do nothing to alleviate the burdens that they carry. Three, pleas of intercession between injured parties must be marked by wisdom. Note here, how Judah makes no mention of the charge brought against Benjamin. To acknowledge the charge would be to attack Benjamin without proof. 
To argue against the charge would be to bring the judgment of the governor into question. Instead, Judah makes a plea and goes after the natural sense of compassion and humanity found in the governor. Many times delicate matters arise between people and it requires not the kind of wisdom that comes naturally to man. Instead, it requires the kind of wisdom that God has promised to those that seek for it from him. 4. People by nature struggle to see the true gravity of their sin. Over the course of these chapters, we have seen how the brothers have argued the point, argued for their defense. It has taken repeated afflictions, and God has used that to expose them and to break them down. And they're not alone, and nothing has changed. Your greatest problem, my greatest problem, is that we will not recognize the true nature and gravity and awfulness of our sin. There are three characteristics that we can see in Judah that may be helpful for us to keep in mind. First, he humbles himself without any claim of goodness. Second, he shows concern for those hurt by his sin, in this case, particularly his father. And third, he is willing to keep his word even to his own hurt. Every true believer walking with God in the Spirit will manifest these traits. And finally, Christ is the perfect surety for the people of God. In this chapter, as we've noted, we have one of the most moving pleas recorded in the entirety of the Bible as Judah steps up willing to stand in place and suffer in the room of his brother Benjamin. But the record of this passage is even more powerful when we take a moment to see how it dimly reflects to us what the Son of God has done on behalf of sinners. Oh, Christian, try to imagine for a moment Benjamin watching his brother Judah take on this responsibility. Then as you picture that scene, See Christ, the Son of God, taking that role for you and not taking no for an answer. He must stand in your place. He must bear your guilt. He must take on that responsibility so that you go free no matter what. Dear believer, there is no scene more powerful than the scene that puts before us the perfect Son of God who takes the blame of our sin so that we can be reconciled to the Father. Oh, may the Lord deepen that understanding in our hearts and help us to live with gratitude every day.